Hello and welcome to this discussion on Slugger O'Toole about the campaign to extend the franchise for the Irish presidency. And to go through this important topic, uh, we have Ben Kelly from the VICA campaign and we have the Irish Times European correspondent and the host of the Irish Pos Passport podcast, Naomi O'Leary. Um, Naomi, uh, just go to you first. Um, obviously, a lot of people will talk about this, about being a potentially radical proposal um, to take on to allow people from outside the state um, to vote for Irish presidential elections. Can you just talk a wee bit about that? About it, 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 would Ireland be adopting a radical approach on this if they change this part of the constitution? No, very far from it. So actually Ireland is quite radical in the other direction at present in the extent to which it actually restricts voting rights and makes voting, the ability to vote extremely restricted to location. Um, so 130 countries around the world, I think, allow their overseas citizens to vote. And Ireland is quite unusual in the, even within, you know, the Republic, coastal voting is incredibly restricted. So you can only do it if you have, a, for example, a disability or a job that requires you to be away from your residential address. And everyone else has to literally be in the local polling booth, which is close to their registered address um, in order to, to exercise their democratic rights. And this has uh, quite a disadvantage uh, for particularly young people who are very mobile. Uh, young people often uh, move between one location to another where they might be studying. They are more, more likely to move house more often than older people. So it has a huge disenfranchising effect, not to, not to mention the um, uh, incredibly large proportion of young people that emigrate every year. And those people, because of the way that Irish voting laws are, are disenfranchised um, de facto by more or less the moment they step off the plane. Uh, so that makes Ireland really an international outlier. Uh, and it's very much not in the interest of particularly younger generations for that to remain the case. Okay. And Ben, just obviously you have been involved in setting up um, a campaign uh, actually to, to get this change. Um, I'm just wondering, um, can you just tell us a little bit about the campaign that you helped launch about, about a year ago now it was launched. Um, I remember being down at it. Uh, could you just walk us through that a wee bit about the campaign that you... Yeah, uh, so I'm with uh, VICA, Votes for Irish Citizens Abroad, and that's a long-running uh, organisation, but at the moment it's focused primarily on this one change. And you're right, we sort of soft-launched this last summer um, in anticipation of it happening potentially as, as early as last autumn. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, and really what we were doing then was kind of, you know, getting our name out there, getting the issue out there, getting some op-eds out there, getting on the airwaves. And then obviously we brought it to Dublin um, as, you know, citizens from abroad. We are based in the UK, but, you know, we, we kind of came to, to Dublin, um, had some meetings with uh, people in the Oireachtas. And then we had an event where sort of citizens, you know, also came along, anyone who was interested um, in getting involved. And that was kind of about us kind of, putting our message out there about why we thought this had to happen and why it was a good thing. And hearing from other people about their thoughts and experiences and also hearing some of the negatives for the first time, I think, um, which I think we're gonna help uh, in as we build this campaign now going forward. Okay, and just on that, because obviously you were down meeting um, politicians and going around, I mean, what was the general, did you pick up uh, enthusiasm about it or apathy because it seems to be the people who are really in favour of this in Leinster House are really in favour of it but those who are opposed to it tend to be really opposed to it so what was the what was the the the, the sense you got? 
You know, overwhelmingly, it was positive. I think, you know, we know that it is, it's supported primarily by Fianna Gael and it's also supported by Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin are obviously, you know, naturally big proponents of this as well. Um, within those three parties, there were obvious cheerleaders who we identify. We've sort of worked quite a bit with Simon Coveney, who's been sort of leading this for Fianna Gael. Um, we worked with Mark Daly uh, in Fianna Fáil, who's now um, the speaker in the, the Shannad, and obviously people... Um, like Michelle O'Neill and Niall and so on in Sinn Féin as well. So I think there's sort of a broad um, spectrum of people there and also some independents, I must note, um, people like Francis Black. And obviously we had the help of um, Senator Billy Lawless. So there's quite a broad spectrum of people there who do support this. Um, it didn't surprise me, although I was very still pleased to see it in the programme for government, um, which means it's still on the agenda. I think that's important. I think that shows um, not just that all those parties support it, but that the enthusiasm we have shown uh, as citizens and as campaigners um, has kept this issue on the agenda. It's kept it as one of the things that clearly was on the table when they all sat down to form our new government. Okay. And Naomi, just on you, obviously you, even though uh, I, I know you mostly cover the, the European realm, but you've, you, you've, you've covered this on your, on your podcast. You've also written about this as well for Slugger O'Toole and other, and other forums. Um, what have you found the reaction uh, to be? Because anytime I've had anything put up on it, you get some extreme reactions back from those who are really opposed to it, and then those who really kind of are in favour of it are, are all in. So, what, what's what's your experience of the reaction to it? Yeah, I think that um, it's like I don't know this for certain, but this has been on the agenda, as Ben says, for quite a long time without actually being brought to referendum. It was actually recommended by the Constitutional Convention, which was a group of um, citizens that were brought together to recommend constitutional reforms. Um, and I think the part of the reason why it's taken a long time to, for it to actually come, come about is because uh, I'm not sure the governments have anticipated how divisive it can be as a proposal. And I think that's really due to a lot of misunderstandings about it. And um, so there's, for example, some people think that um, it means granting a, a right to vote for president to like hundreds of millions of Americans, which isn't true. There's a, there's a confusion between the size of the broader diaspora and who this would actually affect. So it would affect a group of roughly uh, 3.6 million Irish citizens. So Irish citizens, you have to have Irish citizenship. The vast majority of these people live in the north, they live in Northern Ireland. Um, and that 3.6 million number that includes children uh, so it doesn't it doesn't mean that's the number that the electorate would increase by. Um, th so it's not to be confused with the much larger, broader diaspora people who, who have Irish descent. It, it just relates to citizens. Um, and uh, you also have to be aware that there's a difference between um, how many theoretically ther theoretical voters there could be and the amount of people who would likely use this vote. Um, also, there's a, an idea that this. Um, amorphous uh, blob of the diaspora would all vote in one way and could, you know, swing the election all one way, when, which doesn't really represent the reality of the diaspora, which is just like the existing electorate. It's divided, you know, people have different views among it. It's very diverse. And so, you know, a, bro a broad range of opinions would be represented within it. Um, so I think that there really does need to be uh, a lot more information and explanation about what this proposal uh, involves and also the, why it makes sense. I mean, the Irish nation has always had a somewhat geographically fuzzy de uh, definition because of the dispute over the north, but also because of the importance of 
Irish citizens abroad throughout the, since the foundation of the state and indeed their pivotal role that they played in the foundation of the state, which to a large extent was because of support from Irish people in the likes of the United States. So, you know, the concept of the Irish nation has always been an international one. And that's really, you know, that's an asset. And it's really very strange that that's not reflected in our voting system. And it leads to like bizarre, um, strange situations like, you know, a resident in Northern Ireland could run for president, but couldn't vote in the election, which is like a very odd irony. And has been president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was the there was the the article someone wrote for Slugger in 2011 showing that Martin McGuinness, if he wanted to go back to his house in Derry, would have needed the permission of the government to, to leave the state. Uh, if they wanted to go back home. Um, how then, I mean, Ben, obviously you've mentioned there, Mary McAleese um, uh, served as president for 14 years, even when she ran. Going back to Naomi's point, it was a bit controversial. I remember a, a senior commentator in the South referring to her as a tribal time bomb um, when she was running in 97. Do you think that people like Mary McAleese being in the office for 14 years and, and seemingly having a successful presidency, do you think that that's helped uh, sell this idea? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it raises, it just expands uh, the notion of what the presidency can be and who it can encompass. And I think, um, you know, the past three presidents in particular, uh, Mary Robinson, Mary McAleese and President Higgins, have all sort of remoulded the job and kind of shown it what, you know, what it can be. And Naomi's right in speaking of us as being a very global nation. And that's very much part of what Higgins does as well. And so I think it, it definitely opens people's eyes. And it definitely makes you think, well, why not? Why couldn't people in the North vote if indeed they can actually run and have ran to be president? And coming from the North, obviously, this is particularly uh, emotive to me. I would love to be able to vote for the president, who is my head of state. Um, and I also think that, you know, the president can be a, a president for everyone, uh, not just in the nation, but across the island of Ireland, everyone. And I think all traditions as well. I think that's something that's quite exciting. Um, you know, maybe we tend to think that perhaps unionists will just kind of pretend this isn't happening or say, oh, it's got nothing to do with us. And an actual fact, you know, I would relish the opportunity to have people from the unionist background maybe taking an interest in this and maybe seeing what's in it for them and can they get involved and, you know, just taking an interest in how they're represented as well, because they very much fall under the, the Irish nation in, in my view. Mm -hmm. And uh, just on Naomi, you you were talking about some of the some of the 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 negative commentary around it. So when this was talked about a few months ago, more uh, seriously, uh, if you take a look at some of the, some of the commentary, we we saw articles penned that talked about potentially having a Sammy Wilson um, as president of Ireland, the DUP MP as as the president of Ireland. Obviously, the the thing that is constantly referred to is if you do this, you're going to get someone like Jerry Adams as the president of Ireland. If someone like him would be a shoe. What, what do you think about some of those arguments that are put that are put forward? Well, like I say, a lot of those arguments are based on the idea that the electorate that would be added is some sort of, you know, like the Borg, you know, think in one mind, all vote in one way, you know, will sort of uh, will swing elections one way or another when in fact the diaspora is a diverse group. And like you say, you know, this would this would uh, potentially add, you know, some uh, unionist people to the electorate, also um, Republicans in the North as well, um, as well as people abroad. I would be one of the people who will be included in it. Um, I mean, I think I'm, you know, as involved in the Irish nation as anybody else, but at the moment I don't have a vote over my head of state. Um, and 
I also think, you know, it's really important for people in the Republic not to feel like, I don't think it's fair for people to kind of sit in judgment over the perceived like qualification of other Irish citizens to vote uh, for their head of state. There's a sort of feeling like, well, you know, if you don't live here, you're not qualified to decide for the head of state. That's a misunderstanding about what an Irish nation is. The Irish nation is global. We have citizenship laws that grant broadly citizenship to people who are born on the island of Ireland and their descendants. Um, and you know that if, if people have um, think that citizenship laws, for example, shouldn't be granted through descent, that's some, a totally separate argument from voting rights. And I don't think that we should mix them up. Okay, and also Ben, just on on what Naomi was saying there about it's this kind of definition of what we perceive to be Irish. Um, you know, some people obviously view it as, as Naomi has outlined. Well, in the twenty six counties, and I've got friends of mine who I love dearly who live in the south say, "Dave, no harm to you, mate. We, you, you don't live here. Why? Why should you get a say?" Um, and and what would be the response back to that that cynical uh, point of view in your view? Well, I think that's a very sort of small-minded and quite quite a sad view, really. I think um, things can only get more positive and more encompassing when we extend the vote, when we extend the nation, when we extend, you know, who we include as our brothers and sisters. And, you know, whether that friend wants to believe it or not, you know, we are all as Irish as each other. And I think it's really exciting. You know, the Irish nation's always been spread around the world. And yet we've always kind of been a nation of homebirds. You know, we, we always come back. We always want to come back. And we've seen that. I mean, some of the, the greatest changes in our country in the past few years, I think of marriage equality and, you know, repeal of the eighth, those movements, you know, so wonderfully propelled by people who made those journeys, came all the way back. Um, you know, when we saw those doctors coming back from Australia and so on to come back and help with the coronavirus crisis, we are very invested as a nation. Um, and I think that's something that should be celebrated. I think if you're trying to shut that down, then, you know, I think you're going in the wrong direction, really. Okay. And also there's the other thing about, um, I was looking back during previous elections from other countries that lie. So France, for example, uh, the French presidential candidates will regularly hold rallies in London and they'll go over and they'll campaign there. And even in Australia, um, you'll see the queues of people outside Australia House to vote in the Australian general election um, over there. And you see at the last election, you had posters of Bill Shorten and Scott Morrison in, in well-known Australian haunts in London as well. I, Naomi, do you think that this could help bring that wider Irish out? Because obviously everyone's talking about, you know, if Ireland's going to recover from coronavirus, it needs to tap more into its diaspora. Um, do you think that this will help bring that together? Well, it's long been an ambition of the Irish government to attract more of the diaspora to return home. And if they want to do that, a, a really important thing is to give the diaspora a stake in the nation. And, you know, voting for president is one way of doing that. I'm also in favour of more broad voting reform that would allow for overseas voting and other matters and distance voting and other matters as well. The presidential voting is a good way to start. And that was decided by the, um, the citizens um, convention. So that's a good, you know, I support that their decision that was taken uh, after reviewing the, the voting systems in place in many different countries and looking at what would be best for Ireland. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it is a really important thing to engage the diaspora. And as Ben said, you know, the diaspora has been massively important in the reform of recent years. And also something about the uh, referendums, the landmark liberal reforms of same-sex marriage and uh, abortion legalisation to point out is that they were really all-island campaigns. 
as they really were. And I think that, you know, the conception of a purely 26 county nation, you know, uh, when it comes to, as, as an argument for restricting voting rights, I just think that's extremely outdated. And it's, you know, it's, it limits horizons. You know, Ireland is more than that. You know, Ar- Ireland really is a global nation and it's, you know, it's an all-island nation as well. Mm-hmm. And Ben, obviously you're seeing it from, uh, obviously from, from from what you've done so far and, and your perspective. Um, you know, obviously coming from the north, you know, quite often we're from the outside looking in. And I know you're from, I think, the northwest, so you're even closer to the, so near and yet so far um, away. You probably see the hills of Donegal from where you, from, from where you were growing up. Um, uh, we're a little bit more sheltered up here in Belfast. Um, what about... Um, do you think that in terms of northern engagement, you know, obviously, even though northern nationalists will, will will look at an all-line context, do you think that you were talking about unionists and also the growing other dynamic uh, that's in northern people who don't subscribe to the unionist or nationalist tradition, which is a growing electorate in, in northern Ireland, the fastest growing? Um, do you think that there is an opportunity there to bring that dynamic um, into the wider Irish political debate? Absolutely. Look, and, and I would use this opportunity to point out the uh, the commitment that the new government has to a shared island, you know, as they've as they've described it in their their plans, and there's going to be a unit in the Taoiseach's office looking at a shared island. And what a great way to do it to say, let's have someone who represents everyone on this island, you know, and obviously beyond, um, because that's that's what the president can be and should be. And I think absolutely we can look at bringing in, you know other other communities who might not necessarily look south of the border. And I think, you know, that old sort of thing of, oh, well, you know, it's going to be all Republican voters or they're going to vote Sinn Féin or whatever. I think that's really misguided because I think that actually if people are given the chance to engage in a wider debate, they will look at more candidates, they will look at other options. And I think that those critics in the 26 counties who might sort of fear those things, they should be willing to get involved, get stuck in, run your candidates, go up there and and pitch your idea for what this shared island is. And I think the presidency is a great way to do that. I don't think anyone's got anything to fear from it, whether they be people in 26 counties who like the status quo or whether they're unionists who are thinking, hey, what's going on here? No, this is a really good um, position, a really good uh, person that can actually bring all those things together in a new way. Mm -hmm. And it is also worth pointing out that, you know, more than like 47 to 49 percent of the electorate in the north don't vote for either the DUP or Sinn Féin. I think there's, there, there seems to be this narrative uh, among some people who are critical of the proposal that, oh, well, sure, they all just vote for the DUP and Sinn Féin uh, north of the border. And it is worth pointing out that whole swaths of the electorate uh, up here uh, don't. Naomi, you've mentioned a really fast, a really common uh, critique that is always put, that, that is always put forward uh, about this proposal. And it's that old American adage that is way overdone in any debate about electoral reform no taxation without representation. Uh, you have dissected that beautifully in your article, but for people who haven't read your article, uh, uh, walk us through the problems with that argument. Yeah, this one really drives me up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this phrase is, it comes from 18th century American colonists. And their argument was no taxation without representation. Uh, so. They said, you know, you can't tax us unless we have political representation. Now, some people have flipped that around and said no representation without taxation. And they use that as an argument against uh, to, to against overseas voting. But literally, it, it, it has no basis. It's not it's not any kind of 
saying, it's got no logical foundation. It's just a famous phrase that's been reversed. And it doesn't make sense. If you think about it, if you don't, if people can only vote if they pay tax, that would exclude pensioners, that would exclude uh, students, the unemployed, carers, anyone who's sick. It doesn't make any sense at all. And it's a very unpleasant logic if you think about it, tying the, you know, your rights as a citizen to your monetary contributions to the state. It's quite, a, you know, there, nobody makes that argument. It's just not a thing. Uh, but it's sort of, it, it's this common error that's made that, you know, that it's some sort of precept of democracy, but it's just literally a famous phrase said backwards. I would also add that, you know, the presidency is not in charge of any budgets. He's not in charge of any of our taxes. <laughs> um, and actually, that's one of the, the beauties of the office of the presidency. It's, it's almost a soft power thing. It's a soft power role. It's, you know, in that sense. And that's something that shouldn't really come at a cost. Yeah, exactly. And like, um, there's often, often a misunderstanding about the president's role where people think, no, no, we can't have, you know, so you, you can't have a figure setting policy if they're elected by people who are overseas. The president doesn't set policy. It's, it's an appropriate role for to represent the diaspora and the whole island because the function of the president is to represent the Irish nation more broadly, to be a cultural figurehead and to be a unifying figure. And they're not a policy set. They're actually, you know, they're supposed to be a somewhat politically neutral. They don't set policy. So it's not that suddenly, you know, the day-to-day -day policy of, of the Republic would be set by this uh, scary, you know, group of overseas voters that people imagine. <laughs> And also the president's also required, much like the, the British monarch, to follow the advice of the, the government and office of the day. So so it, Michael D. Higgins follows the advice of Michal Martin, his T-shirt, um, not the other way um, round. Um, another misnomer that comes up is um, the, the presidential uh, voting rights campaign isn't seeking to change the way the president is nominated. Um, at the minute, you need 20 TDs or four, the support of four county councils. That... That won't be changed under this proposal, isn't that, isn't that right? That's correct, yeah, there is very little being changed here. One thing I would add is that um, it will require a different way of voting. Obviously, it's going to require people to vote from far and wide around the world, and um, that's something for the government to look at. When we have discussed it with them, um, we were told that it would be uh, electronic and postal, that you could register online, in much the way that you might register for your passport on the Department of Foreign Affairs website, and that you'd be sent your, your ballot and then you'd post that back. And, or you could do that also at um, an embassy if you happen to be near one. That was the plan very much um, on the agenda when we last spoke to um, ministers uh, just at the end of last summer. And, you know, that sounds like a good thing to me. Yeah, and obviously, um, do you, I mean, would you, uh, I know you put some figures, Naomi, in in your article about the amount of people who take up um, foreign voting in other countries. I mean, do you think that there will be a big take up? And obviously, it's, I suppose it's a bit of an unfair question, so it's hard to know. But do you think that that people will, in the initial stages, uh, be be enthused to take part? I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, I think that people exercising the democratic rights is important, and you know that hopefully there would be a good take up of this. In order for that to happen, there has to be, uh, you know, fewer, there should be unnecessary barriers to voting. Um, and also it should, you know, it should be made practically feasible. Postal voting is something that the state does already. So, you know, it should be easy enough to just extend that to a new group of people that already exists as a system. Um, now, we could get into other ideas for reforming voting. 
um, a country I've lived in, the Netherlands, you don't need to register to vote at all. The state knows that you're there, that you're a resident and you just get sent your ballot. So that removes an unnecessary barrier. The, the, sort of, the way that Ireland does it isn't necessarily the best way. It's not, it's not set in stone. So I do think these things, you know, we can discuss these things. But also voting for overseas voters makes absolute sense. Okay. And uh, how do you think, Ben, because obviously you're a keen political observer, how do you think this will change the nature of presidential campaigns? Because obviously watching the, the previous one with Michael D. Higgins, it, it was all, it was pretty much a race for second place because we all knew he was going to win. Um, how do you think this will change the nature of presidential campaigns from, from your experience? Well, I think it'll be much more of an online thing going forward, but I think that's probably the way things were going to be anyway. As you mentioned, I think you'll see probably people maybe making visits to places with big Irish communities, whether that be places like London or, I don't know, potentially somewhere in the States. I'm not sure if that's too grandiose. I'm not sure we're going to see um, anyone jetting around on uh, Air Force planes or anything like that. Um, but I think it just might, it just, as I said before, it'll broaden the horizons. And I think that makes it quite exciting. I think we'll see different kinds of candidates. Um, hopefully maybe some younger candidates, um, just people bringing different ideas to the table. You know, the last presidential election there was, was quite stale, as you say, because we knew who was going to win and that was, that was a pre-given. Um, and I'm not slighting Higgins at all, but I'm saying that the actual, there was, there was no real debate. We didn't really discuss anything about the nation or where we're going or, you know, it was, it was a couple of you know, people scrapping in the corner while he sort of quietly waited for the, uh, the, the coronation. Um, so particularly this next one coming up when we know, you know, it can't be Higgins, it's got to be someone else. I think, you know, and hopefully maybe people from, from elsewhere in, in the diaspora, you know, jump in. Hopefully there are people from the north, um, not just one, but maybe, you know, more voices than that. Um, I think it's exciting. Okay. Naomi, why do you think it's going to change the nature of presidential campaigns? I think that um, Ireland has a good opportunity here. We're kind of living in a moment in which Ireland is um, growing and beginning to assert itself on the international stage with a seat on the UN Security Council. Its profile in Europe has grown enormously in the wake of Brexit. And the, you know, it's, it's global citizens, those citizens that live all over the world are really an asset for the country and an underused one. And what I would hope is that a global uh, Irish president, one that represents all the Irish citizens around the world, would bring, you know, would reflect the international reality of the Irish nation and help to engage that diaspora, which is this incredible asset for a small nation that many countries in the world would be envious of. Okay. And just finally, um, uh, obviously, new government uh, is now three weeks old. Uh, Michal Martin is uh, actually visiting uh, the North today, meeting Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill. Um, uh, it's in the programme for government, Ben. Are you hopeful? Um, I know you mentioned the new Shirt Island unit, Michal Martin talking about, um, you know, his, his aim is to, to build relationships on the island. Um, how hopeful are you with the new three-party government uh, that they will actually uh, pursue this because it has been delayed now uh, for about a year as you were saying we were anticipating a campaign last autumn um, uh, how hopeful are you that in the next uh, Doyle mandate we can get this done I think I'm very hopeful it will be done in the next mandate of this government but I um, just hope it doesn't get delayed again because we were almost there you know the, the legislation was published and so forth um, so I, I say no more delays you know let's do this I, I'd say let's do it next year and um, let's do it soon. It's a good one. It's a positive one. 
Um, I know it's very important for Fianna Gael in particular, so I'm sure that they'll be pushing for that. And I think that, yes, if you're going to have a commitment to a shared island, this is one of the top things you can do to say, here we are, this is what we're doing. Okay, and Naomi, what do you think, uh, how likely are we to to see the new government uh, push forward with this? It will require people to hold the government to account on it, because at the moment the Irish government is completely consumed with dealing with coronavirus pandemic and then Brexit. Um, so there is a massive amount on its agenda. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, like Ben says, it's important that this isn't overlooked because it is a positive thing. It's something that will um, strengthen the Irish nation. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a gift that is in the hands of voters in the Republic. And I would encourage them to, you know, think globally and think inclusively and no longer restrict or deny the voting rights to their fellow Irish citizens. And obviously, because I remember this being an issue 10 years ago when this issue came to the surface, um, uh, oh, well, we're in a recession. We've got bigger things to focus on. Obviously, Ireland is, is currently in a recession, as is most of the Western world. Naomi, what do you say back to people say, well, why are we going to spend time on a referendum on this when we should be dealing with the economy? The argument back. Voting rights are one of the most important things that we have in a democracy. Um, so they shouldn't be derided as some kind of luxury. And like I say, this is a positive thing. The diaspora is an absolute asset. The Irish government very well knows this and it's had policies to reflect that for a long time. Having a network of these informed, engaged Irish citizens all around the world. And also, like I say, attracting back the diaspora that leave. That's massively important for the economic growth of Ireland and for its thriving as well. Um, so okay. this is actually in everyone's interest. Okay. Ben, I'll give the final word to you on that. Well, look, uh, this is a time to rebuild. This is a time to refresh, rebrand, look to the future. And this is a future looking uh, policy. Uh, and as Naomi says, um, some of the people and the you know companies and so on that actually can help us rebuild Ireland are our global abroad. Let's bring them in. Okay. Uh, thank you so very much for your thoughts uh, from the two of you. Ben Kelly from the Votes for Our Citizens Abroad campaign. You can uh, stay up to date with them on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, and Naomi O'Leary from the Irish Times. And you can also catch her, catch her fantastic Irish Passport podcast online as well. Thank you very much for tuning in to this discussion.